Hey there, you're listening to Pushing It, where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth, and life with a new baby. Because if you can't laugh without peeing yourself, you might as well laugh at yourself while doing it. I'm Elise McAllister. And I'm Jen Laird. here with Lily Nichols today who is the author of Real Food for Pregnancy and Real Food for Gestational Diabetes talking about common misconceptions around pregnancy nutrition and we are so lucky we've been reading her book Real Food for Pregnancy and I think she's got some amazing ideas about food in pregnancy that are going to be probably really new to a lot of people and so different than what you're seeing on bookshelves or finding in in your regular prenatal nutrition books. Um, and probably even what your providers might be suggesting. Here's the food pyramid. Go eat this. Everything will be fine and dandy. But I think some of the things that we want to talk to and have Lily tell us more about how there's actually could be a different way of approaching um, the way we eat, not only in pregnancy, but how we can feel good about our bodies throughout a lifetime. Um, the thing that I like about Lily is Lily has birthed two amazing books and a child. So she's not just um, writing books about this, but she's actually been through pregnancy and can give us some down-to-earth sort of um, tips. So tell us um, anything more you want to add about yeah, yourself as we talk about you, Lily. And welcome to the show, Lily. <laughs> hey, thank you. Appreciate the intro. And um, actually currently pregnant with number two. So oh, like, you know, congratulations. <laughs> You're living this of the every roller coaster day. That is pregnancy yet again. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a little about my background. Um, I have specialized in prenatal nutrition for most of my career as a registered dietitian nutritionist and a certified diabetes educator. I think a lot of people know me from my work with gestational diabetes specifically. That was the topic of my first book. Um, that's, of course, you know, when you have elevated blood sugar that's first diagnosed or first recognized in pregnancy. Um, and ultimately, my work ranging from, you know, nutrition public policy in the state of California to clinical practice, to consulting, to research, they all just revealed to me that there are many holes in conventional prenatal dietary advice. Mm. And there's a lot of new data that hasn't been incorporated into the guidelines that mm. all of us are taught yeah. um, from doctors to healthcare providers to dietitians and nutritionists. And so we, we I know we're going to talk about myths, but we tend to have a lot of myths that get perpetuated about prenatal nutrition without right. having people fact check sure. uh, or yeah. see if see if the data has changed. I mean, right. of, of all of the nutrition science is a, a relatively new field. Yeah. Um, you know, medicine itself, I guess, is a relatively new field. Um, things are constantly shifting, but there are a lot of things, particularly about nutrition, that we just don't know. And so we have to be careful in how we interpret the guidelines or like the adequacy of like the recommended daily allowances, for example, the RDA. It's like, oh, sure. as long as you hit this number, you're good. Well, not necessarily if you're looking closer at the research, right? So sure. I, I try to fill in 
these holes. Um, so ultimately, you know, my first book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, was my response to seeing a, a huge number of my clients, quote, fail diet therapy, hmm. um, where their blood sugars remained elevated or maybe got worse following the conventional guidelines. So my approach is just different, more real food, more nutrient dense, lower carbohydrate, and it works better. Um, we reduce the chances that a, a mother will require insulin or medication by half. Wow. Um, so better birth outcomes, more choice in care providers, better blood yeah. sugar control, not struggling with being starving all the time and not having to force feed yourself carbs just because somebody told you you have to eat a certain amount, but right. rather titrating your food to what your blood sugar response is. Right. It seems logical, but it's very different than the conventional guidelines. Yeah. Um, and my most recent book, Real Food for Pregnancy, goes into a, a lot more than just blood sugar stuff. I think that's important for everybody to have on their radar um, in pregnancy, but I'm taking a look at you know, requirements for macro and micronutrients, um, supplements, toxins, exercise, stress, like so right. many things that can play a role in whether or not we have an enjoyable, well-nourished pregnancy. How yeah. can we support baby's development to, to be optimal, especially brain development? What yeah. nutrients should we emphasize? Which things should we avoid? Do right. we really need to follow all these foods to avoid lists, all these off-limit foods? Um, it just questions a lot of the things that um, have, have been left, you know, relatively unquestioned for right. a long time. I mean, a couple decades. Why, yeah. why do you think that it has remained unquestioned? Why, why do you think that some of these recommendations that we see providers make or that are in books, that common knowledge of pregnancy eating why hasn't it kept up? Especially with everything else being questioned right. in pregnancy. Give me the research. Give me I the know. research. I, I just think there, first of all, you, you have to have context when you're looking at data. Uh -huh. And a lot of the data we have on pregnancy is looking back at what people did during pregnancy and seeing what the outcomes are. So it's kind of like epidemiology, which right. isn't exactly mm -hmm. the most reliable information, but we're starting to have more actual clinical studies. Like let's compare uh, supplementing with this amount of choline versus this amount. You can't, you can't supplement with an amount that's below the recommendation, but oftentimes you can supplement with an amount that's above it. This is true for like choline, B12, like omega-3 fats, like many different nutrients they can do this in pregnancy. This starts to give us more insight into what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, to go back to the you know importance of having context, I think it's it, it takes a person who has worked with a great number of pregnant people in order to see what the good or not so good outcomes are. So for sure. example, with the gestational diabetes stuff, what I would notice when I was working with these ladies was that a lot of these complications that tend to like coexist or co-occur with gestational diabetes, like high blood pressure, preeclampsia, um, you know, the risk of having a larger baby, um, having issues with the placenta, like really late in pregnancy, yeah. these things would sort of just not materialize hmm. when we change their diet. And when I'd be referred a client, for example, who had preeclampsia and would take a diet history, 
I would see a lot of the same patterns that I would mm. see in the mamas with gestational diabetes before they had changed their diet. So like Interesting. pretty high intake of like sugar and refined carbohydrates, for example. Well, you know, when you start looking at the physiology, we're like, okay, blood sugar and blood pressure right. tend to go hand in hand. So a lot of the advice that would be helpful for people facing other pregnancy complications was actually the same as the advice I'd give for gestational diabetes. What I also appreciate about that, though, is that if we're looking at how we can eat healthy mm -hmm. or well or nutrient dense, that um, it doesn't have to look a specific way, meaning yes. the, the way that I might eat here in the Pacific Northwest, um, if I'm choosing whole nutrient dense foods, um, those foods are going to look a little different if I lived in Florida or if I lived in Japan or if I lived, um, I don't know, in Russia. And that we can find those nutrient-dense foods regardless of where you live um, and have impact on the health and well-being of ourselves and our children. It doesn't have to be a recipe, pardon the, you know, <laughs> the yeah. ironicness there, but there doesn't have to be a very specific way of eating that we can find those micro and macro nutrients in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. um, I guess what I'm wondering, though, is how do we apply this to the person who is sitting here listening, maybe not having her first baby, she's, maybe she's having her fourth, and, mm -hmm. you know, kiddo number one's got soccer practice, kiddo number three's got ballet, and she's got a nine-to-five job, and she's not feeling so great, she's in her first trimester, <laughs> And she's like, yeah, I hear you guys, but I can't eat an avocado while I'm driving all of my kids to all of these things. I want to do that. I want to grow a baby. But hearing all of this just makes me feel really bad. At least you're guiding mm -hmm. us away from the science and getting us practical. I Check know. Me out. <laughs> I know. Fine, fine. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing here you guys. Here we are. We all sound like a textbook over I here. I know. Nerding but out on I the research. I want to keep it real, guys. <laughs> I but I'm it. just wondering, like, how how do we do that? Because I kind of tend to be one of those people that's like, oh, shoot, uh, I feel really bad, so I'm just going to eat a banana then. And then I find myself starving, and then I'm like, oh, no, now I'm just going to eat cookies for lunch. I mean, I'm totally <laughs> going to out myself here because mm -hmm. you yeah. saw me eating something we're not going to call – we're not going to name it, but you saw me eating something oh, in a yeah. pinch the other day because I had nothing else. And, you know, if yeah. I was pregnant – I mean, I grew a baby on Captain Crunch, guys. We all know this if you've listened to any of the podcasts because it was the only thing I could keep down. Not for the entire pregnancy. No, just, just 12 first, weeks. Yeah. Um, so how do we how do we apply this to that, the mom of, you know, three plus the one she's growing for who's so, so busy and doesn't want to feel shame around it? Right. I feel like we should split this almost into two questions. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Please, so first part is like the, na <laughs> like the nausea first trimester yes. stuff is like a whole a whole animal in itself. Yes. And then the making it practical for everyday life, assuming you're out of the nausea first trimester zone, yeah. 
um, I feel like is another topic. So yeah, let's <laughs> make it. Let's, let's, do, let's talk about let's all of it, first. but let's split it into two. We'll do please. all of it, but I just want to like clarify that yes. that's, uh, yeah. I'm not ignoring part of the question. Okay, I love um, it. Help Elise not feel so bad about eating Captain Crunch for 12 <laughs> weeks. In between vomiting, everybody knows that Elise just vomited her brains out all of pregnancy. I am a pro puker. <laughs> oh gosh, I should get a badge. <laughs> yeah. First trimester, man, it is, you know, now having been through that stage yeah. twice, Oof. it is just such a crapshoot nutritionally what your body is going to be able to handle or not handle. And it's like, if we had a perfect answer on something that would make it all go away yeah. and make it better, everybody would be doing it. But oh, right. I could tell yeah. you, like, I mean, I do all the right things and certainly the magnesium and the B6 and the smelling peppermint oil and the having little bits of protein and like snacks by the bedside, all the things, all the things do help to some degree. Um, If you don't do all of those things, then it's probably going to be a little more severe. And those are all, we can talk about those if you want, but they're all detailed in chapter seven. However, there is some degree of just, you need to give yourself a ton of grace in the first trimester. I like that. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to eat all the things that you know are what you need to be eating. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever your definition of healthy eating is, there's probably going to be foods in those, in those categories that are just not going to work well. So it's okay to not crave spinach salads and uh although we did talk to someone this week who is reflecting back to their first trimester and they said the only thing they could eat was salads i was a little jealous i, was I like, gotta be I, honest wow and they're like yeah huh. i know i am the anomaly she's like i had three fries towards the end of my first <laughs> trimester and i was like get those away i can't even handle the smell of those fries i don't like it give me my salad <laughs> I'm like, excellent, so, great. There is, there is an interesting um, theory. It's something yeah. that I observed. This is totally anecdotal. I yeah. don't have data to back this up. This is just from observing and hearing from lots of people going through the first trimester. There seems to be some degree of your body potentially craving foods that it needs nutritionally. So like I've heard, for example, from a lot of people who follow a vegan or vegetarian diet, they really crave meat and like red meat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and even in the first trimester, whereas I hear from people who have been low carb or paleo or something like that, and meat is something that's pretty averse to them, like potentially maybe their nutrient stores of B12 and zinc and iron and B6 and stuff, maybe that's that's fulfilled and your body might want more carbs during this time. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes maybe you just need a little salad. extra Captain Crunch. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe the person who craves salad needed more folate or yeah. magnesium or the other yeah. stuff in there. We don't know. I mean, it's so, for me, my cravings or what I could tolerate in the first trimester was just it was different every day. Yes. I I didn't know what I could eat. Some days I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to have scrambled eggs with salsa and cheddar cheese. And then the next day the thought of eggs was so repulsive. I could <laughs> just vomit if I kept thinking about it. Right. And then, 
you know, the next day it was like, oh, pot stickers. Like that's gonna, I still have a thing, a bag of pot stickers in the fridge, in the freezer. <laughs> I bought two bags when I was at the store when they sounded so good, yeah. ate one of them and then was not in the mood right. to have any more pot stickers. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's really hit or miss. Yeah. And I mean, the, the best you can do, like, yes, thinking about some things like basic blood sugar balance ideas can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your body wants more carbs in the first trimester, which I think is totally fine. Um, However, if you're only eating carbs by themselves, I call them naked carbs. So like that banana you're talking about where you have that, that keep you full for like half an hour and then you are so famished that you're like scrounging for whatever food will like pick your blood sugar levels back up. It just creates a bit of a, of a roller coaster when you eat carbs by themselves, naked carbs. So if that's a piece of bread by itself, a banana by itself, um, you know, plain (laughs) pasta, um, crackers by itself, they're they're not going to be satiating for very long. That's just physiologically how they work. Right now, when you're super, super nauseous and you're like, literally on the point of like hurling, then (laughs) carbs by themselves might be the best option for you. Yeah. But if you're at the point where you're like, I might be able to eat and I don't think I'm going to throw up right at this moment, try to get some protein along with it. And it'll, it'll help. It'll help you later on in the day, avoid another crazy hunger um, episode which also triggers the nausea. So like when you have that banana, have it with some almond butter, some peanut butter, nuts tend to be a Uh little better in the first trimester. Yeah. Um, Dairy, dairy seems to work really well for a lot of people in the first trimester, even if they're not big dairy eaters, it's like cold. It doesn't have a strong smell. Yeah. It doesn't have a strong flavor. So like opt for a Greek yogurt, which is going to be higher in protein, opt for cottage cheese, opt for regular cheese, full fat, yogurt. cottage cheese, full fat, definitely, because that the fat in there will satiate you. Yeah, this might um, be where just, our string cheese for birth comes in handy in first trimester. Uh, it tastes yeah. like nothing. It goes down yep. the same flavor, comes yep. up the same flavor. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Pretty That's close to shelf stable. <laughs> <laughs> what I appreciate with what you're saying, Lily, is that you are giving some hints for Yes, listen to your body. And um, if you're craving carbs, then eat some carbs. But you're also bringing into that um, some wisdom to understand how our body processes energy, right? So it's kind of two things at once. We Let's pull in some of this education, but also give the, the tuning into one's body to figure right. out um, that, that your body is not um, suddenly lying to you. Um, that if you are somebody that typically eats a certain way and that's not how you want it or craving to eat anymore, that's okay. Um, I think another thing about nutrients and, and eating is that, um, I think typical American culture tends to look at what did you eat today rather than looking at like maybe a week at a time or a general, you know, um, maybe you didn't quite get all your veggies in today, but tomorrow it's going to be balanced out. Um, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, oh, totally. Yeah. And actually for me, um, something that I felt was helpful, I'm not really a crazy, like 
meal tracker, hmm. food journaling, counting type of a person. Uh-huh. But in the first trimester, when I felt like, oh my God, I'm eating such crap, I would try to write down when I was eating something that's like actually had nutritional value. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got like five almonds in. Wow. I wouldn't do this every day. But at the wow. end of the day, I'd be like, oh, I had like three bites of egg and I had some almonds and I had a Greek yogurt and I had, wow. you know, two bites of chicken and maybe there were no vegetables in the day, but whatever. Right. Oh, I got a tangerine that has some vitamin C. Okay. It was yeah. like, it gives you a little something to celebrate right. instead of just getting so focused on, oh no, I didn't eat anything good yes. today. I just ate cereal. And it's like, you know, we, this is just so universal yes. to pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that Lily, we don't I... need another thing to stress about. Just get through the first yes. trimester, keep returning back to that, you know, feeling in your body, noticing, like I noticed if I didn't do the protein thing, yeah. it was worse. So, you know, I did have to have some awareness over macronutrient balance, even if I could only fit in a little bite of protein, but I'm right. like, okay. Yeah. I'll do my like, cashews, salted cashews and dried cherries are like something that worked really well for me. Sure. They're salty. There's a little protein, a little fat, but you get that like yeah. sweet, sour, salty and sour tend to work well with the nausea thing. Right. So it's oh. like, okay, yeah, I'm getting a lot of sugar in these dried cherries, but you know what? It's not sour gummy worms. And I'm <laughs> right. also getting a little more substance and a little more staying power from the cashews. And it, if that's enough to take the edge off yeah. of the nausea, like yeah. fantastic. And then you can move forward with the next snack. You just take it like every eating instance at a time, even if it, that's like 18 times a day. Right. And this is <laughs> what, take it one at a time. This is what I what so appreciate of what you're telling us though, is that you wrote a book that's based on science and wisdom here. And you're telling us um, that not don't beat yourself up if um you know you're taking bites of cherries and uh, dried cherries and cashews like this is okay a bite of chicken that's okay i like the permission you're giving folks rather than kind of this beating up on oneself that it's this is humanity this is how our bodies feel something we used to talk about as well in um, midwifery school in education of of clients is that maybe it's even that your body doesn't crave some of these vegetables and fresh things potentially because it's um the baby is developing so rapidly that it want to protect the baby from any possible pollutants and Mm -hmm. um so I think that's also can be helpful to go, all right, I feel better. Now it's second trimester and I'm running these kids around, um, the older kids in the situ- in, in Elisa's situation. Um, how do I now eat now that I'm not craving Captain Crunch anymore? Um, mm-hmm. How should I start to focus my food? Yeah, I think that's an important transition period to recognize when your nausea symptoms are subsiding so you can rely less on the cereal or whatever other like filler foods have just helped to like get you through like you're out of survival mode and you're and your body can now you're not averse when you think about having a lettuce wrapped burger or having a salad and that's the phase where 
there, there is this period of transition, um, just getting back to, I don't know, it depends on how a person has been eating beforehand, but if sure. the person beforehand has been eating more of a sort of real food focused, like unprocessed food diet, uh-huh. um, transition back to that. If okay. that is new to you, then just honestly do your best following the mindful eating sort of cues to get in enough protein that tends to be really helpful for like satiating your um your hunger for longer and also preventing carb cravings all day long so like make sure you're getting a protein rich breakfast whether that's a greek yogurt or some eggs or you know maybe a piece of toast but you're having like a lot of almond butter or something on it so you're getting a bigger (laughs) boost in the morning could uh-huh. be like a protein shake for some people could be leftover dinner but like getting in enough protein tends to kind of reset our hormonally regulated hunger cues really yeah. well um, that might be more helpful and you know hey are vegetables not averse right. try to get those in your lunch and dinner if at all possible um, it's just baby steps sort of getting back to you know a, a new normal um, But to get to your question on like, how do you do this as a really busy mom? Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just, it's just tricky. How do all of us do it? Um, Hmm. I think everybody has their sweet spot for what's going to work for them. Um, I have a post on my website called lazy meal planning because I'm somebody who's (laughs) not good at meal planning. Like I can't plan out a week or a month's worth of meals and actually stick to it. And like the thought of creating like this really detailed grocery list of all the possible ingredients, it creates so much stress for oh me gosh, that I'm better just- pause just... here for a second? I yeah. know. You are an, um, you're a human being. You, you wrote <laughs> a book on <laughs> nutrition, but ding, 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 you guys, oh she's a human I being. I know. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, because I hate meal planning. She's not I a robot. I hate meal planning. I even hate meal plans, so I don't even like that I have to put them in the book, but I know I have ah. to put them in there to <laughs> clarify, like, here are some examples of yeah. some nutrient-dense meals, but they're not intended to be, like, you follow this meal plan to yeah, a T, yeah, you know? Yeah. I and like you don't have to shop for all of them for a week out. Although I was exactly. looking at them this morning and I was getting really hungry. Can, <laughs> There's like, food food guys, in get the book and eat those foods because <laughs> I'm going to go home and make them for lunch instead of eating a handful of cookies. <laughs> now, to, to that point, though, I do think it's helpful to – when you go to the grocery store, sort of have a plan in mind of really just like whole foods that are filling and nourishing and everybody or most people hopefully in the family will like to eat, you know? So it's like, okay, think about some breakfast options, think about some lunch options. And then for me, I just look at like, what looks good at the store right now? Maybe what's on sale. And I, I have enough like cooking experience to kind of be like, oh, look, there's, um, you know, green beans are on sale this week and they look really fresh. I'll get those. What goes along with green beans? Maybe I could do some roasted, a roasted chicken or some roasted chicken thighs or something. Uh-huh. And then I'll usually just buy enough to make extra for leftovers. So I have two or three meals worth of food from mm. one cooking instance. Yeah. Um, love that. I use the crock pot or the instant pot a lot. So like chili, there's a good chili recipe in the book. Um, 
soups and stews, like some of these kind of grandma dishes, like totally pot roast, which like pot roast sounds like it, it tastes bad until I made pot roast. Like, <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is, is amazing. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Pot roast, pulled pork. You know, if I'm doing pulled pork, I'll usually just pair it with a slaw. So when I'm buying the pork shoulder, I'll just buy a, um, a head of cabbage and maybe a couple carrots to make a slaw. I just do, I do a lot of batch cooking yeah. for me to make it as easy as possible. But, you know, everybody has their sweet spot. Somebody do, some people do really, really well with meal planning. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a, there's a sense of like security and comfort and ease that comes with having things pre-planned out. So you don't have to think about what's coming up for the next meal. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to just own whatever your, your place of comfort is on the food planning thing. Yeah. Um, I do think the batch cooking comes in handy regardless. Maybe your meal, meal plan can plan around like we will have food for this meal and this will be lunch for the next day. Yeah. And that would ease the meal planning, but however it works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we also have so many um, more resources now than we even did like 10 years ago, as far as like cooking from scratch easily. Um, I know mm-hmm. I used to always buy a cornbread mix, for instance, and then I have this great cookbook that's, I forget what it's called, like cooking from scratch or something like that. And, um, or cooking homemade, something like that. And I'm like, now I always use that cornbread recipe because a, it tastes so much better and B, I know mm-hmm. exactly what's in it and mm-hmm. I'm able to make those decisions about what I'm putting in it. And it's kind of fun to, I enjoy it at least. It makes me feel closer to like kind of the idea of ancestors or, you know, I'm, I'm intentionally doing this. I'm seeing this as a way to um, think about my family and my body and um, feel close to my, I'm kind of like that though. I like antiques and old things. And <laughs> right. see where I'm like, Ooh, healthy meal, easy dinner. And I'm like, uh, easy dinner under six ingredients, healthy Pinterest right there. And I'm like, Oh, there mm-hmm. we go. Right. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to filter a little bit of that out because you're like, Oh, that had like, you know, how many condensed cans of soup were in that? Right. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So if it right. has condensed soup and all of that, it's probably not actually healthy. Yeah. yeah. A lot of different yeah. interpretations of healthy, but I know Pinterest can be tricky. Yeah. Um, Always. I have some colleagues that, uh, run a website called the real food RDs uh-huh. and they have great recipes. They keep the number of ingredients down. They keep it pretty simple one of them lives in the midwest so it's far from grocery stores so she's not doing like super fancy ingredients um sometimes they do but a lot of their recipes are just like what is available anywhere um not a lot of ingredients and like usually less than 30 minutes of of prep time and i so that's a good resource just to it's a they have tons of recipes so it's right. kind of like its own search engine of recipes in right. and of That's itself awesome. um well, i like I think, using that when i'm like you know inspired to do something yeah. different than just you know whatever i've been having for dinner lately and i think we can speak to two things as well cost there's a lot of ways to make food inexpensively and often i think buying a commercially prepared versus making it yourself the cost difference is massive. So I think doing a little investigation, 
I think maybe even my own interpretation um, when I was having children was, oh, it costs so much to eat healthy. And I still make those comments once in a while now where I'm like, oh my gosh, fresh fruits and vegetables. Oh, it's so expensive, right? But there's right. a lot of ways that I think I've figured out it, it can be much less expensive to make more whole foods that are less expensive or, or sources of protein and so on that aren't necessarily, for instance, meat, you know, mm-hmm. rice and beans are some of our family's favorite go-to. Everybody loves it and it's a complete meal. Um, so I think that price, there's ways to do this. Secondly, what I'm thinking of is I've seen some folks who decide that they want to st- Um, change their eating habits, whether that be in pregnancy or postpartum. And then they start making each meal from scratch and making it a big production. You're on maternity leave (laughs) and parents are Uh literally making a homemade lunch and a homemade dinner and breakfast was like, you know, beautiful as well. And so I've seen where the partner's actually spending more time prepping food than they are doing like That is not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, d- this is not the time to make it a production. Like no. scrambled eggs. No. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, this is the time where you got to do like the instant pot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Or big big batches of stuff roasted in the oven. Yes. Um, you know, it doesn't take that long to get a sheet pan right. of food together, roast it on relatively high heat, you know, a little salt, spices, olive oil, like call it a day, you know, make yes. it easy on yourself. It doesn't need to be this big production. Yeah, right. It seems like you could probably, you know, quadruple these recipes and free some of them maybe for postpartum. Yeah. That could be pretty oh, yeah. easy. Yeah. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Soups and stews tend to freeze extremely well for postpartum. I mean, I'm even thinking about that this round, like, oh, what do I plan for postpartum? What do I put in the freezer? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because you don't have the, you don't have the bandwidth or wherewithal to be cooking, nor should you. And in in years past, um, pretty much everywhere other than the West, the postpartum period was when mothers were supported by other people in the family, usually older women, Mm -hmm. um, taking care of their food and household needs instead of us having to be up baby wearing cooking. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, but, um, now we have to kind of plan around maybe not necessarily having that type of support and how can we still take the time to rest and recover, but also like eat well to support a recovery. And it's a, it's a conundrum, you know? It really is. Absolutely. Because you got to rest, but you've also got to figure out how to nourish your body with foods that are going to make you feel well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just circling back around to, you know, myths and misconceptions around food and pregnancy, what would you say is the biggest kind of aha shocker for people when you talk to them and, um, about what they're eating and they're surprised to hear has changed or oh it's hard because there's so many to choose from <laughs> yeah just or what's uh, your favorite yeah just popcorn out some doesn't have to be on a yeah bigger uh, uh, it, yeah it's hard for me to like rank them because I feel like they're yeah. all so important um, <laughs> you know one of the big ones is I think a lot of people's focus on prenatal nutrition 
or like the first thing that comes to mind is what can't I eat instead of Uh, what should I be eating more of? Interesting. This is like the, the first trimester thing. I don't know how early people are reaching out to work with you two, but it's especially first trimester. You're like, oh my gosh, I found out I'm pregnant. Yeah. What do I have to do to like not mess this up? Yeah. And so look towards, you know, if you look up what not to eat when you're pregnant or foods to avoid in pregnancy, you'll get this whole laundry list of foods that are suddenly off limits. Right. Eggs with runny yolks, deli meat, sushi, um, maybe just fish in general because of the mercury, like the lists go on and on and on. And I did a lot of reading around, you know, how, how risky is it actually to eat those foods Mm. and for many of them the risks are like really 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 tiny and for some of them not all of them like I think you could do a pregnancy without deli meat (laughs) other sources of protein and b12 and iron and other things in your diet like you'll be fine but um if you're looking at complete avoidance of seafood for example or complete avoidance of eggs say the only way you like your eggs is over easy or sunny side up or something then you actually are risking a lot of nutrient deficiencies even though the relative risk of you getting sick from eating those foods is really small right so that's something that i think is worth um us like collectively talking about more Um, because there's just a lot of fears around food. I can't eat that because I'm pregnant. Yeah. Um, Ah. You know, in reality, like for, for me, there's actually very few foods that I'm like, Oh, I can't eat that food because I'm pregnant. I mean, I abstain from alcohol. Um, you know, that's one, I'm not a huge caffeine drinker, so that's easy. But like, other than that, there's nothing that I'm like, I can't, I literally can't eat that. Like, I think you can justify like either or depending on many different factors say like you get say somebody has a lot of anxiety around Mm. foodborne illness or something and like the thought of eating eggs with runny yolks scares them then like you're probably better off not eating eggs right that makes runny yolks yeah but like hopefully you can still include eggs in your diet in some regards so you're getting sure. enough of other nutrients especially choline eggs are the number one source of choline which is important for your baby's brain development um but you know there sometimes there's ways around these things but i think so often the nutritional trade-off of not having the foods isn't even addressed in the slightest in uh, yeah. conventional guidelines yeah i appreciate so that interesting okay and what's the deal with sushi so sushi Ooh, is hot topic. I know. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I sushi was in Hawaii craving sushi yeah. through my pregnancy. <laughs> so yeah, full disclosure. I mean, I, I craved sushi. A lot of people crave sushi. Yeah. In their yeah. Um, and, and just to talk about the cravings for a little bit, it's those might be, you know, for good reason. So mm especially in the first trimester, your uh, thyroid is going through a bunch of different adaptations to prepare for pregnancy. It has to pump out like 50% more thyroid hormone that requires iodine. The main source of iodine in our diet is actually seafood and seaweed. And then second to that is dairy and eggs. Um, 
salt is actually pretty minimal, surprisingly, even though everyone's talking about iodized salt. Ah. But anyway, they found that um, in raw fish, the iodine, the selenium, and uh, potentially even the the DHA, the omega-3s, all of these are important for baby's brain development, by the way. Hmm. Those are actually more absorbable from raw fish than they are cooked. Um, Also, raw fish, if it's really, really fresh, it doesn't smell awful, whereas cooked fish has a specific smell. That's Um, true. Good point. Now, granted, you know, I went through my first pregnancy in Alaska, and I had access to tons of fresh seafood, like, caught by us or our friends, so I, like, knew the sourcing and quality and whatnot, but one of my favorite things was ceviche with either salmon or halibut. And it was the thought of cooked fish was off-putting for probably half of my pregnancy. Okay. But um, ceviche, which is like, you know, arguably you have some acid in there, which, quote, cooks the fish right. a little bit. I don't know. Um, but, you know, the fish had been frozen for a period of time, which is thought to, you know, um, kill any parasites that could potentially be in there. And because it was all so fresh and handled so well, I, I really wasn't worried about it. Mm. And in some parts of the world, they're not worried about sushi. In Japan, they're not. They actually think that it's a a beneficial thing for a baby's development. The NHS, like we're talking about England, um, they say that sushi is fine because the fish grade sushi, the sushi grade fish, I should say, um, undergoes more extensive microbial screening and it's all been flash frozen. So you eliminate the parasite issue. So it's just a matter of making sure that it's fresh and has been handled well. Um, so I think it's one of those things where like, you know, common sense, trust your right. nose. Yep, yep. If it smells off, definitely don't eat it. Don't mm. eat leftover sushi. It should be like the freshest possible <laughs> thing. Don't buy sushi from like a gas station, probably not even like a grocery store, like get it from an actual yeah. restaurant that you know has quality fish that doesn't smell fishy and sure. you know that your your sourcing is pretty good the relative right. risk of getting sick is really really small and right. i say hey if it, if it sounds good you're actually getting a lot of nutrients in there hmm. that might otherwise be lacking in your diet if you mm-hmm. abstain so yeah. That's great. That's one of those things. It's it's really up to you. If you don't feel comfortable eating sushi, don't do it. If you do, I I think the risks are pretty small. That is awesome. And I think hashtag of the day is don't eat sushi from a gas station. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Words to live by. (laughs) Can we all share that hashtag now? (laughs) Maybe a bumper sticker. (laughs) So really quick. Say no to gas station sushi. Right? Yeah. Um, really quick, Lily, um, one thing that jumps out at me as well from your book is the thought of, for instance, full fat dairy versus low fat dairy. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit of what, um, those conventional thought would be that we should stick to low fat in pregnancy, um, and talk to us about what, how did that, that, um, impacts our blood sugar? Um, and yeah, tell us your thoughts. Oh Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, then you can go into all the macronutrients. I think there's issues with the conventional guidelines on, on all of them, (laughs) which are carbs, fat, and protein. Um, Fat is something that just across the board on our dietary guidelines, doesn't matter if you're pregnant or not. um, We've been recommended to limit our fat intake for 
decades. Um, and I, I don't think it's gone so well in terms of rates of disease with our skyrocketing rates of uh, diabetes and heart disease and right. obesity that our country is facing. Um, but aside from that, you know, when I when I'm looking at prenatal nutrition, I'm often trying to sort of reverse engineer like, okay, we need these certain micronutrients. Here's where we get them in food. How would this look in an actual days or weeks worth of eating? And does that provide adequate amounts? And what you find is a lot of the nutrients that increase during pregnancy are actually found in foods that naturally contain fat and naturally contain saturated fat, which has been one that's been demonized for far too long. Um, so examples of that would be vitamin A or choline. Choline's a big one. You find choline mostly in egg yolks and liver, and those are some of the highest cholesterol foods that we wow. have. So yeah. they've been really shunned by a lot of people um, in an effort to improve heart health, which now we have a lot of very strong data showing eggs are just fine, although the yeah. media, of course, publicizes poor like the eggs. worst of the worst studies on this stuff poor, over poor and eggs. over again, which is so frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, but choline is one where we've found that mothers who consume a lot of choline, we're talking more than double the amount that's currently recommended, their babies have better brain development by ways of like intellectual tests and react reaction time at every time point tested compared to the moms who are just eating at the recommended amount well if you're being super strict on fat and cholesterol you're definitely not going to eat enough choline because it's found in the very foods that have fat and cholesterol in them hmm. so same for vitamin a same for another nutrient i think is not talked about at all um, it's called glycine. It's actually an amino acid that's considered, um, they call it conditionally essential, meaning during pregnancy, which means that outside of pregnancy, you don't have to worry about deficiency. Hmm. During pregnancy, you actually need to consume adequate amounts of this from your diet or you'll have issues. And glycine is required for your baby's development, especially their bone, skin, and connective tissue. And it's required for all of those tissues in the maternal body to adapt to pregnancy. Interesting. The uterus grows like a lot, contains 800% more collagen at the end of pregnancy than it does pre-pregnancy. Right. What's the most abundant amino acid in collagen? It's glycine. Hmm. So where do we get glycine? the bone, skin, and connective tissue of animal foods. Interesting. And huh? those have fat. So yeah. if you're going to do pulled pork, for example, which if you're doing a macronutrient calculation, you'd be like, oh my God, this food is so fatty. Well, guess right. what? That food has a lot of connective tissue, which during the cooking process breaks down and makes the super delicious fall apart shredded right. pulled pork. Um, it also has a ton of glycine in there, which is really good. Where do you get the glycine in chicken? It's in the skin, which everybody's been told to take off because right. it's too fatty. Right. So the I'm more so that you get strict on fat, <laughs> oh, you have chickens, that's awesome. The more you, the less you fear fat, I should say, the less likely you're going to run into a number of different micronutrient deficiencies, some of which might not even be on your radar. Interesting. Um, you asked about dairy specifically. And, you know, when we're thinking about 
food and processed foods, I think most people think about like refined grains and sugar and whatnot. We don't think about dairy, low fat dairy as being a processed food item. Right. But technically when you get milk from a cow, it comes with fat yeah. for a reason. Yeah. And that fat has a lot of nutrients in it that are really beneficial, vitamins A, D, E, and K. It has some other special fatty acids like CLA, things that have shown to be beneficial to overall fertility, to egg health, um, meaning like a mother's eggs she's producing uh -huh. from her ovaries, right. um, which ultimately affects the health of the baby. And when they look at studies on um, dairy intake, and fertility outcomes, they actually find the best outcomes among people who are, who are consuming the most full fat dairy and the worst outcomes from the people who are consuming the most non-fat dairy. There's something about the dairy fat that seems to be beneficial to fertility. Yeah. Probably most likely the vitamin A that plays a really strong role in, um, in, in egg health and just you know, healthy ovulation, healthy menstrual cycles, and it's, right. it's vital in pregnancy. Um, but there's something in there that they haven't yet exactly identified. It's probably a myriad of factors right. that is beneficial. Right. Um, not to mention you absorb the calcium and other minerals in dairy better when you're getting it with those fat soluble right. vitamins. So, right. you know, we have to look at foods as being beneficial in their whole form. There's something about this nutrient yes. synergy that we lose when we start processing things to take the fat out of dairy, to take the skin off of the chicken, to take the yolks out of the eggs. It's we're missing something. Right. So interesting that when, if you think of fat in a conventional way, it's, you know, a big old hamburger or French fries or big ice cream or Doritos or something, right? It's not thinking of those, those types of foods are obviously going to be really different than you eating a whole food, fatty food, which you've just described for us. You can you imagine think of right. chicken with skin on it. No, no, no. When you think of like, oh no, I'm going to eat a fatty food. You probably, the first thing that comes to mind isn't, you know, some of these. Uh, well, and then when you get into the nutritional epidemiology, things get all mucked up because the right. sometimes when they're looking at fat intake, what is the fat right. coming along with? And it's usually a lot exactly. of refined carbohydrates and sugar. Right. So if you're talking about, you know, the burger, the meat in the burger is like the least of your worries. Right. It's that you right. have this giant bun made yep. of white flour with a bunch of sugar added to it. And you have this whole big mound of fries that's yep. been fried and really poor quality vegetable oil, right. which like if we're talking about fat, we have to consider quality and exactly. vegetable oils are some of the worst ones that you can consume despite what we've been told linked to a number of different pregnancy outcomes, uh, adverse pregnancy outcomes like preeclampsia and placental inflammation and interferes yeah. with the transfer of like omega-3s to that should be going to baby's brain to yeah. make them really smart. No, omega-6s from vegetable oils get in the way of that. Yeah. And so we, you know, things get all lumped together when they're like, this high fat diet yes. is bad. You look yes. at the high fat diet and it's like 60% carbohydrate, mostly exactly. refined grains and added sugars. And you're like, well, okay, there's a confounding factor right. here. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. So I think that's the lens from which we want to encourage people to view food is that when we're thinking about the we think about the quality of food and where it where it's originating from rather than just 
this label of high fat, low fat, or whatever. Um, right. That's if if I would say yes, please eat low fat. Um, that that isn't necessary. It, it's much more complex, right? Than um, if I would say if I encourage somebody to eat high fat diet in pregnancy. I'm not thinking of these refined foods. I'm thinking of that pulled right. pork, what you're talking about. Yeah. So right. more real food fats. Exactly. Yeah. I love that message. That's that's a, and that feels very unconventional, but it makes a lot of sense and research supports this. This is not um yeah. And I yeah. think even a bigger message is just um what I'm hearing today is dig deeper into all of this with nutrition that the messages we've been hearing all along aren't aren't necessarily true that just like everyone is taking charge of writing a birth plan and finding a provider that really feels like they're hearing them or um, getting a doula and feeling like they're advocating for their birth advocate for your your nutrition yes. in pregnancy and right. beyond. There's so much more. And I think a great way to do that is to get Lily's books and to learn about eating um, during yeah. your pregnancy. Yeah. This is a great time. And you don't have to buy a $5 avocado um, to do it, that yeah. there are lots of ways to do it. And there's, there's, there's so much to learn. Yeah. And so um, I feel like we could just do this for hours and hours. This is great. There's so much we can talk about. Um, yeah. Any any last parting words, Lily, that um, I've, I, like I said, I think we could go on for hours. Um, right. But um, yeah, any last well, thoughts? I think, I think sometimes, um, you know, I, I personally end up going into, into the weeds, so to speak, hmm. in, in my book and like, just citing the shit out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon my French. No, we love French. Oh, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> Should have given a warning to any moms who nope, uh, have nope, small nope, you're good. Oh, if they like... listen to our show, you know, <laughs> they've heard that word. Okay, as long as we already have that warning in there, we're good. Yep, yeah. we're all good. <laughs> you know, I, I cite things a lot with data and go into these sort of controversial and yeah. like nuanced topics because I feel like nobody else is doing it. Yes. Um, and I, I just want to like give some, some evidence base behind some recommendations that are just so different than what people have been told. Yeah. However, I don't want people to get so lost in the mm. minutia that they yes. miss the big picture that yeah. this isn't, you know, all, all this cool, like little data factoids about micronutrients and whatever things that like myself and my colleagues might nerd, nerd out about, you kind of don't have to, like, you don't have to really get into like, Oh, am I getting enough of this or that or the other thing? Yeah. If you're just eating more real food, a lot yes. of these potential nutrient deficiencies or whatnot sort of take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be super complicated. Um, uh, and hopefully, like I said, even though I hate meal plans, hopefully looking through the meal plan yes. sort of puts everything into perspective and you're like, oh, so that's what she's talking about, yes. getting yes. some protein at your meals. Oh, that's what she's talking about, not going super overboard on the carbs or like uh -huh. balancing them out with enough fat and protein to say, stay satiated. Um, really try to like look at this through 
I, I, I try to do this, but yeah. I also like to emphasize that like you, you've, you've got to find a way to make this work for you mm-hmm, and awesome. not get too lost in the details. And Ooh, there is I appreciate a place that. for the mindful eating part of things, the listening to your body part of things and the, all the nutritional stuff to coexist. It's yes. not a, a one or the other thing. And they help support one another. Like the more real food you're eating, the more the mindful eating principles will Uh click. The more mindful eating you're doing, the more you'll notice that, oh, when I'm eating something that like, oh, probably isn't the healthiest thing, you'll start to tune into those messages, which will naturally gravitate you back towards the real food side of things without creating like a complex or a a guilt thing around having indulged in something that was really delicious. Like these things can just happily, happily like meander around each other back and forth and don't get too serious about it. Oh, Oh, I really appreciate that. Okay. Such amazing words of wisdom. Tell us where we can get this book. Amazon? No? Yep. Amazon is probably the best place to get it because it's just so darn easy to order things on Amazon. Um, And they tend to have it on sale, but you know, Barnes and Noble, there's a lot of independent bookstores, um, some libraries, you can request at your local library, they can order it. Uh, But on Amazon, you can get, you know, paperback, Kindle, or uh, audiobook. Perfect. And where can we become giant fans of yours? So the main, I mean, my main hub online is my, my website, lilynicholsrdn.com for people who, um, that's where I blog. So there's just a lot of, there's like 250 plus articles up there if you really want to dig. Um, but I also give away the first chapter of real food for pregnancy for free over there. If you just want to get a, get a peek, get a sort of big picture, look at why, why do the whole real food pregnancy thing. Um, And then social media wise, I'm most active these days on Instagram and my handle is the same as my website. So Lily Nichols RDN. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Um, We've really, this has been a great conversation. It has. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. And you can find us at Pushing It Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook. Thanks all for listening. And thanks Lily so much for all of your time. Thank you. Thank you.